Today we're, we're sort of a, in, a, in a pivot Sunday, a, a transitional Sunday. We're bringing this study of 1 John that we've been um, making our way through all, all of the fall months, bringing that to a conclusion today, but also beginning our look into Advent and the passages of Advent that prepare us and, and really draw our attention to Jesus the Son. And actually, this, this last chapter in 1 John is a, is a perfect transitional piece because it brings this study of the book to a conclusion, but it, it really focuses, it highlights, it exalts the importance of Jesus' sonship. And that's, that's the very thing our attention is meant to focus on in this Advent season. So if you would turn to 1 John 5, we'll, we'll look at that passage in just a moment. I'm always looking for new books to read, either to read myself or to read aloud with our family. And a couple weeks ago, I learned of a book. I think it's, it's probably 10 years old or so now. But it caught my attention because it, it's connected to or it highlights two things that are important to me. Katie's holding it up. I haven't had a chance to read it yet because my daughter grabbed it as soon as it came in the mail. It caught my attention because it's all about the reading of good books, and it's all about being a father. It's about those two things. And it's called The Reading Promise, My Father and the Books We Shared. It was written by a young woman who was a college student at the time she wrote the book. Her name's Alice Ozma. And she looks back in the book at what she affectionately calls the streak. The streak was a 3,218 consecutive night, daddy-daughter read-aloud. She says it started on a train ride. They were, they were, I think, going from New York City up to Boston. They had some time on their hands, and so her dad read her a story as a fourth grader that night. They enjoyed it so much that they initially set out to read 100 nights in a row. They had a, a party at the end of those 100 days. But they had so much fun that they decided to keep the streak going, and it lasted from fourth grade all the way up until she left for college. So 3,000-plus nights of reading together. And the book, as I can see, I haven't read it yet, but I can look through the chapters. It highlights the titles, the books, the content that they read together. But more significantly, it's a testimony to the way their relationship grew the way her understanding and her appreciation of her father grew over that period of 3,000-plus nights reading together. Children are, are often the most trustworthy sources of information we have about parents. Good or bad, right? Children have this sort of intimate access to, to see what their parents are like, to hear the things their parents say, because they spend so much time in their presence. And today, as we come to the end of our study in 1 John, we are left with one final invitation from John the Evangelist. And he wants us to know what it's like to come into the Father's presence, to have that kind of intimate access to, intimate knowledge, abiding fellowship with God the Father. But he says our surest source, our, our chief insider, the way that we get into that insider relationship with the Father, 
It's through the testimony that's been provided through his son, Jesus. So that's, that's sort of, a, in a nutshell, John's testimony in this fifth and final chapter. Let me pray for us as we read these passages together. Lord Jesus, you have given us the gift of your word, and you promise us that it's living, that your spirit inhabits these verses, these testimonies to us, because you desire these words to transform our hearts and our lives and our relationships together as the church. Lord Jesus, you promise us that not only have you given us this written word, but that you are living word. You are logos. And that word has become incarnate and embodied and enfleshed for us to know and understand. And so now I pray for your help. As I, as I read, as I preach, as I proclaim these words, may the, the words that come from my mouth be pleasing to you. And may the meditations of our hearts, as we hear and receive them, also be pleasing and kind. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus, the word of God. Amen. This is 1 John chapter 5. I'll read the first 13 verses to start, and then we'll, we'll take the second half of the chapter a little later. John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony, testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
There's a lot in those first 13 verses. But if we could boil it down to, to one statement, I think John is telling us that the best way to love our Father, our Creator, God the Father in heaven, is through a love for His children. I know a little bit about that because I myself am a father, an earthly father. And I know that you could give me a compliment, you could give me a gift, you could do something kind for me, and I would receive that graciously and be grateful. But if you, if you really want to speak to my heart as a father, do something for one of my children. Right? Bless them in some way, encourage them in some way, see something in my children and, and speak life into them. And you'll go straight to my heart as a dad. Right? There's, there's nothing fathers or mothers love more than, than those who bless and, and act and love on behalf of their children. Verse 1 says, in much the same way, if we desire to love God the Father, then let us concentrate our attention on loving His Son. And the way John says that we do that is by obeying the commands God has given us, particularly the commands he's given us about his son, Jesus. He says in verse 3, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And throughout this whole letter, John has reduced the, the whole of the law, the whole of Jesus' teaching to, to two primary commands. If you go back into chapter 3, you, you see one iteration of this. He says, this is God's command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. To trust in his name, to believe in what he's done, to, to stand before the Father in the company of Jesus, who atones for us, who cleanses us, who loves us, who advocates for us. This is the whole of God's command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And in doing so, then, to also love our siblings, to love our brothers and sisters in his body as he has loved us. John is saying, if we desire to know and live in relationship with God the Father, then we have to pursue a relationship with Jesus the Son. Back in my high school years, I, I knew a young man who as a teenager, things in his own home, in his own family, were quite difficult. There were, there were some problems at home, and he didn't have a mother and a father who cared for him in the way parents should care for their children. But at the, the hardest point in his teenage years, he also developed a great friendship with, with another boy, another classmate of his. And these, these two guys became not only best friends, but they came, became like brothers to one another. So much so that, that this other young man's family that was, that was healthy, he had a mother and father who loved him and cared for him, they extended an invitation to his friend to come move in with them and to live with them. And they began to love this young man like their very own son. They helped raise him. They, they walked with him through his university years. But that connection... That, that first step into that new relationship, into that new family, began 
by knowing, by being connected to, by trusting their son, right? That, that friendship, that sibling-like friendship with their son drew this young man into that family. John here says he longs for us to know what it's like to be in that kind of household, to be in that kind of family where we are, are loved and introduced to God the Father who made us, who knows us, who can heal us, who can restore us. But he says that starts by entering into a relationship with Jesus the Son. Jesus who has come to show us the way to be with his Father. But in a, in a kind of reciprocal way, John's saying that we need, in order to know the Father, we need to know the Son, right? The, the Son is the way that we know the Father. But also, as we get to know the Son, the Father has told us some things about him, right? The Father has given us testimony about who this person Jesus is. And in order to love the Father, we have to receive, we have to accept, we have to believe what God the Father has said about Jesus. You can see that testimony, testimony in verses 6 through 13. God the Father has testified in three unique ways to the identity of Jesus, his son. That, that this person, Jesus, is entirely unique in these three respects. He refers to the testimony of the water, the testimony of the blood, and the testimony of the spirit. And again, these verses can be a little perplexing to interpret, but let me briefly speak to, to what I think John is, is referring to here. And I'm, I'm using John Stott, the great 20th century theologian's summary here. John Stott says, these three testimonies refer to these three things. The water refers to the baptism of Jesus. The moment at which Jesus was declared the son of God, the unique son of God, the son with whom God was greatly pleased, right? That's what God says at the moment of baptism. And, and the water is a sign that God has commissioned Jesus to, to fulfill, to redeem what sonship looks like. The second thing that testifies, the Father testifies to who Jesus is, is through the blood of Jesus. And here we're speaking about the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Right? The fact that God would, would come, not only inhabit the earth and show us what sonship is like, but it, as an expression of that sonship that he would give away his life. As John says in, in the chapter before this, that he would lay down his life to show us what love is like. The Father testifies to who Jesus is through the blood that cleanses, that atones, that makes us new. Thirdly, God the Father has testified about who his Son, Jesus, is through the sign of the Spirit. And this is the Holy Spirit, right, that, that comes and rests upon Jesus at that moment of baptism in the water. Spirit that, that exalts and lifts up and glorifies the name of Jesus at the, the moment of his crucifixion so that all might believe in him. And the same spirit that, that not only rested in Jesus and anointed Jesus, but we're told through Jesus' own teaching that, that as Jesus went to be with the Father in his resurrection glory, 
that spirit now comes and lives in us. It abides in us. It marks us as those who belong to Jesus the Son. And so John says, in order to love the Father, to know the Father, to be drawn up into this family, we have to receive these things about Jesus. And I don't think John simply means that he wants us to, to understand with our intellects that they are true. That's, that's part of what he's testifying about. But they're not just boxes for us to tick off in our minds. John intends for us to accept these things by entering into their truth. Experientially, personally, relationally. John wants us to enter into the water of baptism that testifies not only is Jesus the Son of God, but that we also might be daughters and sons of God. John wants us to accept the testimony of Jesus' blood, not just as a, a cosmic sign that God is reconciling the world, but, but as a sign that God loves us and desires to, to cleanse us and remove the power of sin and guilt and shame over us. And he wants us not just to know about his spirit, but he wants the spirit of Jesus to live in us, to lead us ever deeper into these truths. He wants us to know what it's like to have a spirit that dwells in us and calls out Abba, Father, God, Daddy. So following Jesus, John says, is about reviewing. It's about rehearsing. It's about, it's about lifting up and letting our identities conform to this identity of Jesus the Son. Who Jesus is increasingly gives shape to who we are as we follow Jesus. And John warns us in verses 12 and 13 that if we ignore, if we downplay, if we don't pay attention to the testimony God has given us about his Son, not only do we make God out to be a liar, not only do we denigrate the testimony of God himself to us, but John says we cut ourselves off from life itself. Because John is clear that Jesus is life. Whoever has the Son, he says, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We don't, we don't do a lot of altar calls here at JCC. But let me ask you simply, do you accept, have you received, have you entered into the truths of these testimonies personally? Do you experience a relationship with Jesus so much that, that you know he's the son who's come to show you what God the Father is like to you? how God thinks about you personally. Do you know, Jesus, have you accepted the testimony that he actually has come to destroy the power of sin in your life, to take away whatever shame you experience when you come into God's presence, to take away whatever guilt you might carry? John says, I'm testifying to this so that you might have access to that kind of life. Do you know that Jesus has come to make you his brother, his sister, 
teach you to love this family as your brothers and sisters? Do you believe that Jesus is the gateway to life, that he is life itself? John finishes his letter by inviting us into that abiding relationship, but also describing how a relationship with Jesus changes things. What it looks like to live in the Son of God. Let me read briefly verses 14 to 21, conclusion of John's letter. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. The evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. first half of this last chapter, I think, is, is one last plea that we would come to God through his son, Jesus. But these concluding verses are meant to be a great assurance, a great encouragement to those who have come into a relationship with Jesus, to understand and, and to rest in what that relationship provides. I think John points to three things that, that living in the Son provides us with. The first thing, John says, is that those who are in the Son, those who know the Son, those who come to the Father through the Son can be confident. We can come, as John says again and again in this, in this letter, into the very presence of God, the holiness of God, the glory of God, and not be afraid, not be ashamed not be condemned, but instead be confident because we know that we are loved. We know that we have been drawn into the love of the Father for Jesus the Son and that that's how God sees us. We can come confident that, that a child, like a child before a loving parent, knows they will be heard, knows they will be addressed, knows that their needs will be met by that parent. We can be confident that God, our Father, seeks to and is working to provide each and every need that we have. We can be confident of his love. The 
second thing that John says that we, we should and we must experience as those who live in the Son is that we should seek to be those who reconcile, those who restore our brothers and sisters when they are caught up in sin. In fact, this is actually directly tied back to that last encouragement. He said, you can, you can, as the children of God who live in Jesus the Son, you know you can come into God's presence and ask him confidently for anything he would put on your heart. And John says, chief among those things, at the top of that list of what you should be asking your father for, is for your brothers and sisters, especially those who, who are trapped, who are deceived, or who are ensnared in the power and the guilt and the shame of sin. John says, bring them before the Father. And these verses, again, are a little confusing because John speaks about these two different kinds of sin in these verses, 16, 17, and 18. He talks about the kind of sin that does and the kind of sin that does not lead to death. And there's all kinds of wacky interpretations about what John means and which sins fall into what category. But if you just stick with the context of what John has just been writing here. John says that to be in Jesus the Son is to have life. If you don't have Jesus the Son, if you don't receive the testimony of God about his Son, you don't have life. You have death. And so the, the sin that leads to death would be a sin that takes you away from the truth of who Jesus is. A sin that severs that abiding relationship with Jesus. A sin that distorts or minimizes the full sonship of Jesus the Christ. I think that's the sin that leads to death. And, and that's the sin that has taken place in John's own congregation. Right? Many have left the gospel behind. They've sought to proclaim a Jesus who is, is stripped of his full standing, stripped of, of the full atoning power of his blood, stripped of his full humanity. And while John grieves that loss, his concern here is, is for those not that have denied the truth of the gospel, but those who, like all of us, struggle with the power of sin in our lives who seek to remain faithful, but as one commentator says, who, who find ourselves living in ways that do not reflect a family resemblance to our Father. John says, what do we, what do, we do when we see this kind of hypocrisy, this kind of struggle, this kind of shame and, and guilt that each one of us deal with, when we see that in the lives of a brother or sister? John's solution is, he says, pray for them. Bring them confidently before your Father and ask him to give them life. John places that responsibility on every family member, on every member of the congregation. And he calls us to be part of this remarkable family culture where we don't, we don't just look out for our own interests or for the interests of the people who sit in our own pew, but we ask God to bring this whole body the life of Jesus, to endow this whole body with grace and truth and to turn them away from error, to turn them away from hypocrisy. We ask God to engage our brothers and sisters with grace and truth because 
Jesus has engaged us in that way. And I might add that, that often I think we find as we bring our brother and sister in prayer before God our Father, God will prompt us to go to them directly, and to pray with them, and to speak to them, and to care for them, and to love them in relationship, to seek their restoration. So John says those living in the Son can enjoy confidence, can rest in the love of God the Father for them. Those who live in Jesus the Son would seek the restoration and the healing of their brothers and sisters. And finally, he promises, promises that as we live in the Son, we will be guarded, we will be kept. Our hearts will be led into true worship. If you look at those concluding verses, he says that though the world is confused and deceived about what life really means, we have been given Jesus the Son so that we might know with certainty where life comes from. We have been given Jesus to shepherd us and to guard us and to guide us into eternal life, to draw us into true worship. John says, the more deeply we know the sonship of Jesus, the more deeply we know Jesus as our, our brother who we are being conformed into his image, he says, the more our hearts are bolstered against the deceptions of this world, the more that we are inoculated against the worship of what John refers to as idols. And he concludes in this way, verse 20 21, we know him who is true. We know Jesus, the true God. We know Jesus, the true life. And we know that if we are in the Son, we will be in the Father also. As we move into this season of Advent, my prayer is that our attention would be on God's Son, that we would meditate on the truth of who He is on all that God has said and prophesied and promised about this one. Because in him, we have life itself. Amen.